Welcome to the Real Truth Matters podcast. I'm Dan Harder, your host. The RTM podcast is all about showing you how to live in biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect. And now, here's Real Truth Matters founder and director, Michael Durham. Thanks, Dan. We're looking at the subject of how to walk and maintain fellowship with God. In last week's episode, we opened up 1 John chapter 1 and heard the Apostle John say that you and I can have the same kind of fellowship with God as he and the other apostles enjoyed. The fellowship they had with Christ after his ascension back to the Father was not reserved only for a few special servants. Oh, no. It's been made wide open to all who will press into God and believe in God's accessibility. The accessibility of God is an overlooked topic. We know that the Apostle Paul says that Christ alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. But that means we do not have the ability to look upon him with our poor physical eyes. But it doesn't mean we cannot walk and have communion with him. John says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Spiritual fellowship does not require the physical senses. You don't need to be in physical contact or proximity. The Spirit can be in full communion without any aid from the physical. In fact, the physical can hinder spiritual companionship. If you think fellowship with God is a physically tangible thing, meaning something felt, you'll seek to feel God and miss Him altogether. I'm not saying you can't feel God's presence or communion. But those emotions are the involuntary result of the mind believing that God is near. They're not the presence of God himself. It's simply being convinced that his presence is with you, that such a reality triggers certain chemical and physical responses within the body. But before I get terribly sidetracked, let me again state that fellowship with God is not held out and only open to God's elite. No, it's open to you at any time you desire. The way John states it, it should be an continual experience. Fellowship with God need never be interrupted, but there are biblical conditions for enjoying the Lord and fellowshipping with Him, and that's what I want to discuss with you today on the podcast. What are the biblical conditions that you and I must fulfill in order to enjoy continual fellowship with God. Well, first, you must develop the habit of thinking about the Lord. This is why John begins his epistle the way he does. If John's theme is God is light and we can have fellowship with him, even as the apostles, then we need to know the truth about God. John says in 1 John 1, 3, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Truth precedes fellowship. Did you hear that? Let me say it again. Truth precedes fellowship. Fellowship is built upon the truth 
of Christ. What John and the apostles saw and heard from Christ was the basis of their fellowship after he went back to the Father. And John is sharing that truth so that we too can have the same fellowship with our God. The mind has to be correctly informed. It has to have the appropriate knowledge of God to fellowship with him. This is in part what Jesus meant when he said to the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Since our God does not take on physical form and appear to us, and since He is Spirit, then if we're to experience His presence, we must do so by thinking about Him. In other words, we must develop a spiritual mindedness. The Bible says much about what we think. Evidently, it matters much. The mind plays an essential, if not critical, role in the experience and fellowship of God. If the mind is formed in its thinking by Scripture, then faith has something to work with. However, if I'm not convinced in my mind that something is true, then on what basis can I proceed? Why should I pursue fellowship with God, as John experienced, if I'm not sure that it's possible for me? The probability is I won't pursue it. The mind has to be biblically informed, and that means saturating it with the Word of God. Then one must, with their mind, meditate and think about what they have read and learned from the Bible. The first suggestion on how to do this would be to simply obey what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, this isn't going to be easy at first. We're not trained to discipline the mind. We don't control it and what we think about. Instead, the thought process is allowed to do its own thing, to go where it takes us. Have you ever caught yourself starting to think about something, but in a short matter of time thinking about something else that's unrelated? Well, that's because we don't control our thoughts. Our thoughts control us. But if you learn to master your thought life, it will exert a power that will transform your whole attitude and Christian life. The second condition is to learn to talk to the Lord throughout your day. Communication is the essence of communion. There has to be an exchange of the soul for full fellowship to really happen. You must communicate your heart to the Lord. You need not use religious-sounding words. Just speak to Him about whatever comes to mind. Now, at first, things around you will distract your mind and things you must devote your attention to will seem to interrupt thinking about the Lord. However, even in those things, you can eventually learn how to talk to the Lord about those things. Include the Lord in on everything you do. Talk to Him about all that exists in your day. Engage Him as you travel along in whatever you set your hand to do. Suppose you and a friend plan to spend the day together. You both wanted to get out and hang out together. 
No matter where you go or what you do, will you suppose that you and your friend will engage each other about the things you do? Well, of course you would. That's what good friends do. Why should it be any different between you and the Lord Jesus? He calls us friends. John 15, 15, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I've made known to you. You may push back and tell me that God already knows everything about you as well as what you think. Why do you need to tell him about what you're thinking? Well, again, the goal is fellowship, and fellowship includes talking and sharing and listening. How can two walk together and not communicate about the things that surround them or engage them that they both have in common? No, good fellowship is based upon communication, the sharing of each other's heart. Well, the third condition is to make everything you do an act of love to the Lord. Many are looking for some formula or methodology in which to be successful in living the Christian life. But, friend, there really is none. The Bible says that our whole duty is to love the Lord with all of our soul, mind, and strength. But it must not seem like a duty. How do you think my wife would feel if I said to her, Sweetheart, the Bible says I'm to love you like Christ loves the church, so I'll do it no matter how difficult it is. I'm going to do my duty and love you. You wives know how you would feel if your husband said that to you, yet that's what we essentially say to the Lord and think he's pleased that we do. We say, Lord, you know I don't feel like loving you by obeying you, but nonetheless, I'm going to do my duty and obey. We have some sense of pleasure that we're doing the right thing as if that's all that matters to God, that you do the right thing. And my friend, that's absolutely wrong. It's unbiblical and it's unloving. It doesn't honor the Lord, but rather it dishonors him. Because Christianity is more relationship than religion, there must be mutual cooperation between you and the Lord. You must desire Him and He, you, and by the way, the Lord Jesus wants to be wanted. Now, please don't misunderstand. He doesn't need to be wanted for He is all-sufficient, which means He needs nothing. He doesn't need your love or even your fellowship. But He nonetheless desires it. Isn't that a remarkable? God desires you. Now, why would I put it that way and say Jesus wants to be wanted? Well, the answer is obvious if you're thinking in the context of relationship. For a relationship based upon love to really work well, both parties must love the other. Both must desire the companionship of the other, and both must pursue each other. Any kind of Legal obedience, an obedience that simply complies out of fear or duty, is an obedience that, well, it's disobedient. Obedience is to flow out of love from the heart, and any other kind of obedience or doing what is right or expected is not love. It's stripped of it. So what is genuine love? Well, love is the 
is the passion to know someone, to be engaged with that person, to find out what they're like so that you can serve them all the more. It's to be your passion to love God with all that you are. And you know when you're doing that, and you also know when you're not doing it. We know almost instantly whether we did what we did because we love God or because we love self. Now, my friend, don't be afraid to admit your self-pleasing obedience because of duty. If you did something but it wasn't love for Jesus, well, then quickly proceed to the fourth condition to having fellowship with God. The fourth condition is immediately ask for forgiveness and quickly return to an obedience of love after you have sinned. Now, this is imperative. Light exposes, and it especially reveals the imperfect, the ugly, and the dirty, and the darkness. The dust on the end table, well, it's unseen, but then comes the light of the sunbeam, and the dust is no longer hidden. Do you remember how our Lord's light exposed the sin of Peter's heart? He commanded Peter to cast his net and fish, where earlier they had fished and caught nothing. The light shined, and a net-breaking catch of fish occurred. Peter saw the light. He fell before the Lord, crying, Oh, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. A few short years later, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee named Saul, saw the same bright light of our blessed Lord's countenance, and immediately he fell to the ground and exclaimed, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? It's not until one feels his or her imperfections will they desire wholeness. It's not until they see the filth and dirt will they be ready to be cleansed. So, a part of walking in the light is learning how to start over. You must develop the art of starting over. Many times, more than you'll be able to count, you'll have to learn to go back to the point of your sin and start walking with God again. In fact, the Lord God is delighted each time you start over again. He doesn't keep score. That's the point of verses 8 and 9 of 1 John chapter 1. All the Lord desires is an acknowledgment of your sin when One of your children disobey? Isn't it an acknowledgment of their disobedience enough for you to know they're taking responsibility and sorry for their actions? And are you not ready and quick to forgive them? How much more? Your heavenly Father is willing and ready to forgive you. Well, the fifth condition to having fellowship with God is to remove the idols of your heart. God will have no rivals. He deserves none either. But also, you'll never be able to enjoy the Lord as you hope to without emptying your heart of any competitors. The ridding of the heart of its idols is really a work of God. Often we're so grieved and struggle when the loves of our hearts are exposed. But the truth is that it's God who's drawing you closer to himself. He's drawing you to the light. The light is exposing the idols of your heart. He's keeping his promise. That promise is to remove the idols that have betrayed you. A.B. Simpson, who also knew this kind of fellowship with the divine, explained it this way. God has to break our hearts to pieces by the slow process of his discipline. 
and grind every particle to powder and then to mellow us and saturate us with his blessed spirit until we are open for the blessing he has to give to us. Oh, I, I know there's much more I could say about this, but time today does not permit it. But I must warn you of one thing causing you to come right up to the threshold of a more exciting and richer fellowship with Christ and then turning and walking away. It's the fear of change. I cannot explain what I'm about to say, but that doesn't keep me from believing it to be true. You can have as much of God as you want. Oh, yes, yes, I know that God is sovereign and that His grace works in us all differently. But it also seems to me that the Bible tells us that we have something to do with our closeness to God. For example, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 15, Jesus said, For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. James says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Why are many Christians not going all the way with Christ? Well, it's the same reason sinners reject Christ. Think with me. One reason a sinner doesn't accept Christ is because they're afraid of the change that Christ will bring. Jesus said, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn so that I should heal them. In other words, they know that if they turn to Christ, that Christ will change their lives. And it's that change, the unknown, the unfamiliarity of it that brings fear. It seems easier to stay where you are. You have a familiar life. But if you're really a Christian, you've got to admit that settling for less than constant fellowship with God, who has saved you, leaves you unfulfilled. In our next episode, we will penetrate deeper into the first chapter of 1 John, and in it we'll discover more insight on how to maintain fellowship with God. But what if your situation is that you have little to no present fellowship with the Lord? There's nothing in your case to maintain. Therefore, what I'm discussing with you is a major change. I must confess I find it hard to believe that a true Christian can have such a relationship with God. It's very difficult for me to see why fellowship with God wouldn't be one of the most prized and coveted things your heart would want. I can understand that fellowship with, with the Lord can be like any relationship we have. It can grow stale and dull. It isn't always exciting and exhilarating. But there is some fellowship. Just like a couple who are married, they may not have as a thrilling a marriage as they once had, but there's still, still some fellowship, and it can be good. But to have little to no communion with God is just tough for me to grasp. But if there is such a thing, then what I've said to you today has got to be earth-shattering. It means a huge paradigm shift for you. But that's exactly what God holds before you, an invitation to explore His heart. You can enter into the greatest journey, the ultimate quest anyone can experience. You can enter into the heart of God 
and learn that you're more loved by him than by anyone else who loves you. Did you know that when you became a Christian, you embarked on this voyage of knowing and fellowshipping with God? You see, sir, your problem is you have the privilege of passage. You have received the invitation. You just haven't left the harbor. Will you board the vessel and lift the anchor and set sail? Will you begin? Why not find a quiet moment today and tell your Lord that that you're so sorry for not taking advantage of the greatest offer made to walk with Him? And tell Him you're ready for this amazing journey, and I promise you, you'll not regret it ever. It's one thing to have Christ Jesus as your God, but it's another to have Him as your greatest lover and friend. And friend, I don't know of any other kind of Christianity. If you are truly born again, that pulsating beat is within your heart. The desire, the unquenchable desire to know and walk with God. Well, before I leave you today, I want to thank you for joining us today. The RTM Podcast was created and is produced every week to help you in the practice of biblical Christianity. And like our topic today, learning how to fellowship with God and then maintain that fellowship, we explore the Bible's teaching on the reality of the Christian life lived out. Too many either make the faith all about intellect while others make it all about emotions. Some gravitate to the head while others gravitate to experience. But both positions are extremes and therefore they are unbiblical. The Bible stresses knowing the truth, but that truth is not for informational purposes only. It's to be experienced. And that's what the Real Truth Matters podcast is all about. An experiential Christianity unapologetically founded on the doctrine of Scripture. Well, would you please share this podcast with fellow church members, friends, and family? We do not advertise the podcast, so you are our only advertising agency. And if you have any questions about the subjects we discuss, you can send your questions to us by email at web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web at realtruthmatters.com. On behalf of all of us here at Real Truth Matters, thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you with His love in a real and tangible way. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Truth Matters podcast. I hope you can see that Christianity is profoundly experiential, but always based on the objective truth of Scripture. If you have questions or comments, please send them to our email address, web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web at realtruthmatters.com. Real Truth Matters podcast, dedicated to biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect.